Good morning again. Uh, thank you for that, Taylor. My name, everyone, is Scott Sun. I'm the lead pastor here at Bethany North. Our message today is built on the scripture that comes from Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Will you pray with me now? Jesus, thank you so much for this church and this time. And Lord, we would just ask that you use this message to help us more, to become more like you, God, being reconcilers between all the nations, all the tribes, all the tongues for your glory. In your name we pray, amen. Well, church, this is week five of our Shalom series. Uh, We know that Shalom is the Hebrew word for peace, and today's sermon is Shalom for all God's people and ethnicity. And we know that Shalom is not the absence of conflict, though that would be nice, but it's the presence of God's Spirit to bring order and goodness of things that might seem irreconcilable. And this is exactly what brings us to today, that what does Shalom mean for racial reconciliation? Uh, What does Shalom speak to us to? um, how does it answer this, this larger meta-narrative question? Uh, what is racism? And does it exist here? Does it exist now? I've had some feedback from congregants like, hey, Scott, this isn't us, is it? Or, or pushback from some folks of like, hey, Scott, we don't have any racism here, right? And that's not true. When people say, well, at least not in the church, Right. That's not true either. And then others say, well, you know, I I never did it. I've never made racist statements. And I need to teach strongly against this individualistic faith today. Because we'll be learning from Micah 6.8, the call to justice and mercy transcend individual action. And it doesn't exclude personal responsibility. But we can't be a just society without individuals moved to justice. But we can't move there alone. So nationally and locally, we've discovered this year that we're not as far as long as race as we maybe thought a year ago. And I was reading uh, John Jenkins' thoughts about racism, and he says this, racism is the practice of elevating one race over others in belief or actions. When accompanied and sustained by imbalances of power, prejudice moves beyond individual relationships to institutional practices, from individual to institutional he says, the, the country, though we've made progress, the country and the church, we still have work to do. And so church, as we get into this today, what does shalom mean for different ethnicities? Which brings us exactly to Micah 6.8, do justice, love, mercy, walk humbly. I love it, but does this verse speak about racism? Yes. Because we have an opportunity before us, before the next generation who's watching us, to declaratively say that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, who categorically is against any discrimination, against racism and supremacy in every form, in order that his church would bear his glory. And so Micah says, on behalf of God, if you want to see God's vision for justice, there are steps to take. And for mercy, there are steps to take. And and how we do it, we'll do it humbly. So let's get into this simple message today. Let's start with our first point. We're called to be people that act justly. Justice is what we're called to do as God's people. He's shown you what is good, what the Lord requires of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly. And as we'll see here in Micah 6, 8, that there's a context that Micah's statement is actually answering a question where Micah's asking earlier in that chapter, how can I get right with God? How can I experience God's shalom? 
at the time of Micah's words, Israel was under the sacrificial system. So if you sinned, you would pour out a drink offering or you would, you would uh, sacrifice an animal. But transactions alone can't restore worship when injustice is happening. And so all of a sudden in Micah, the prophet realizes my individual sin is part of a collective system and I can't just be good and see the whole nation restored. No, Micah says, no matter, no matter your heart, you can't bring enough oil. He says, would the Lord be satisfied with 10,000 rivers of oils? No. To really get right with God, Micah says, when you've lived in a broken system, is to heal the system. And so it's more than individual good acts. You must act together for the, nas- for the nation to be restored. And so Micah lays it out. He says, God requires justice to everyone. He's writing to a nation. You must practice justice together to get right with God. And there was personal injustice and systemic injustice. And often, I'll just confess, it's wearisome as a pastor to keep answering this question, is personal righteousness enough? Doing justice isn't just not doing bad things. It's also moving towards advocacy to to move our system to be more just. Because the specific Hebrew word that Micah uses here is this word for justice, mishpat. And mishpat was to be lived out by the nation and individuals. Mishpat means to do the right thing. And mishpat means when broken systems have happened, mishpat, justice, means that we care for widows and orphans and immigrants and the poor. We know as followers of Jesus, we're called to love God and love others. It's our mission statement as Christians. And justice and mercy are the vision on how we achieve our mission. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, we are not simply to bandage the wounds of victims beneath the wheels of injustice. We are to drive a spoke into the wheel itself. And so there's this old adage, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And so we need a biblical vision how as a church we'll pursue justice together. We've experienced this over, you know, the past season. And just as an illustration, on Martin Luther King weekend, uh, my wife and I stopped at Black Coffee to buy coffee and support our neighbors, say, we believe in you. And they were raising money. They said, do you want us to, dr- to decorate your vehicle? We said, yes. And a bunch of kids that are part of Black Coffee wrote their messages all over our car. Well, later we took part in a MLK parade through Shoreline and one woman was screaming at us. Another couple of people drove by with their middle finger extended. Somebody the next day keyed our vehicle. Why? What were the words written on my car? The words written were protect black women, be anti-racist, and love your neighbor. Why do we react like this? Because we have an unjust system. We need to, we need to pursue justice. And secondly, we need, to, we need to love mercy, We need to love mercy because Jesus says that this was my mission statement. He didn't say, I came so that you would be happy or I came to get you into heaven. We've misunderstood much of Jesus' mission as merely spiritual. No, Jesus cares for his people. Jesus cares that people are being set free to flourish. This is what Jesus says is his mission statement in Luke 4. Jesus repeated the words of the prophet Isaiah as he was starting his ministry and he said this. He says, as he returned, he was in Galilee. He was there with the power of the Spirit. He was teaching in the synagogues. Everyone was praising him. And he went up to Nazareth where, they, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood and he read the scroll of Isaiah. And unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery for sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the Lord's jubilee, about prisoners being set free. Now, sadly, in the American church and, and at Bethany North, we, we have work to do to follow Jesus' mission statement and to love mercy. And so looking back, we must acknowledge the painful history of slavery and persecution and dehumanization that continue to impact so many lives today in order that we can change the narrative around race in America in our church. Now, Brian Stevenson, the author of Just Mercy, he said this, he says, the true evil of American slavery was the narrative of racial difference, the myth that black people aren't fully human. And because of that, I don't think slavery ended in 1865, it just evolved. The narrative of racial difference, the false belief that people of color are inherently inferior has continued to haunt the United States for over 150 years. This narrative of racial difference was created to justify slavery and it was empowered in the American church. You might say, well, yeah, maybe in Atlanta or maybe where Stevenson works, but not here. But it's not true. If you talk to friends of color in our community, they say right here in Seattle. One of my friends, she said right here in Seattle, when my black sons were to driving away, I would grieve, I would worry for their lives because she was African-American, right here. And so church, we've got work to do right here. And so when people come through the drive through of Black Coffee, they should come through with people loving mercy. They said, hey, we're with the church, we're with you. Smile, show them mercy, show them a welcome. Be a great neighbor because it's impossible to love mercy and not work towards racial equality in our nation and in our neighborhood. And it grieves me to say, but historically speaking, the U.S. church supported racism all the way back then. That's the legacy. That's why in 1845, Frederick Douglass said this about the church. He said, between the Christianity of this land and the Christianity of Christ, I recognize the widest possible difference. So wide that to receive the one as good, pure, and holy is of necessity and reject the other as bad, corrupt, and wicked. And so as we look in the mirror as American Christians to say we failed to love mercy, we've missed a primary call to Christ to be reconciled to others as a primary call to discipleship. Remember what Paul says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There's not male or female. You are one in Christ Jesus. That's what we're called to be. It's time to be brave, church, braver than we've ever been before, to do justice and love mercy, to be people as a primary force for good in our community primary force for good. Two weeks ago, I made that statement against racism that many of you saw. We filmed it on Friday. I agonized about it Saturday. And on Sunday, though I was doing a brave thing, I was in agony and anxiety. I was fearful that I was upsetting the apple card. And I felt like in prayer time that morning, the Lord said, stop being afraid and just love mercy. So finally, how do we walk humbly If you want to walk with God, you're going to need to bow and follow. Mercy, okay, I get that. Justice, we get that. But why is humility so important for Micah? Why is humility this bedrock for discipleship that Micah is encouraging us to step into? He's like, if you're going to walk with God, you got to do these things. Justice, mercy, 
and humility. And this is what we hear from people like, well, you know, I didn't go through the drive-thru and say those things. I never owned slavery. I've never done racist things, but this is where I want to move us, church. We're part of a culture where justice isn't being done. And so shalom can't exist in fullness at, at, at an individual level. It's a corporate level. And so, you know, the, the people on the left, they see justice needs to be done at the border. And people on the right say justice needs to be done in the womb. And we can't agree, but this is where people of God transcend sin political parties and say, if my culture is keeping people from justice, I'm part of the problem. And that takes humility. Remember 1 Corinthians 12, when one suffers, we all suffer. So how do we get there? Micah says, be humble. Understand that we will fail, that we, we must get back up again and do justice and love mercy and be filled with Jesus' spirit and, and to cross that empathy divide. And this is why humility is so difficult for us because we get entrenched in arguments in our head. But oppressed people know that the good news of Jesus is meant to be good news for whole people, reconciling people of different tribes and tongues. It must speak towards real people. Like if Jesus is really alive, he should be coming alive in us and people should see that. And it should make us people of empathy and truth and mercy. See, this is, this is what I want to encourage you as in the week ahead, church. Like, pray about this. Lord Jesus, am I more of a person of justice or a person of mercy? And then to ask Jesus, would you help me be like the other? Martin Luther King said, true altruism is more than the capacity to pity. It's the capacity to empathize. And, and empathy is when you're sorry with someone, not just sorry for someone. So may we be a humble church. May we humble ourselves before the Lord to say God is at work within us, not despite us. He's working in us. And to know that the fastest way to significance and impact is humility and confession. And so when we find ourselves defensive about racial inequality, God's trying to break us of some of our strongholds. We need to dismantle the argument that I've never been racist to anyone, so therefore it doesn't exist. We can say collectively racism has existed, and we've been comfortable, many of us, with living with the benefits of a racialized society. But because of Micah 6.8, we confront that which we've avoided. The first step in humility, church, where is inequality going on around us, and who do I need to align with to show them the love of Christ? Because this is going on all around us. It's still happening. When people of color apply for a loan or apply for a job, the the new Jim Crow laws, which are invisible, but they're still powerful. And so people of God, we say in humility, Lord, make us aware, help us do the work. Make no doubt about it, church. God is asking for more, more justice, more mercy, more humility, that shalom would be for whole people everywhere. That's what Revelation 7, 9 said. After this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one can count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne, standing before the lamb. And so he can heal us if we're humble. If we confess sin and name complacency, if we renounce white supremacy as anti-Jesus, as we speak truth, that we've had a racialized society, but in Jesus' name we say enough. And I want to just encourage, so many of you are doing good work. Keep going. Keep confronting the, the, the systems of racism. And may the church regain our voice of being truth tellers, doing the work of justice and mercy and walking humbly. 
doing the work of shalom for all God's people, that every tribe, nation, and tongue would be in humility um, worshiping God. He can heal us if we're humble. This week I started a cohort process with Dr. Brenda Salter-McNeil with a couple other young leaders and we've been going through a book called The Roadmap to Reconciliation for the whole church in the season ahead. And Dr. Brenda says this, she says, our collective calling is to make the kingdom of God visible on earth. Every time we bridge racial, ethnic, gender divides, we become prophetic witnesses to the reality of the kingdom of God. In small and big ways, we give people a glimpse of what the kingdom is like. We must never lose hope knowing that God has the power to bring the kingdom on earth as it is in Howard. God has the power to bring shalom. Shalom for all people. What a dream, but one worth fighting for together as a church. So that's where we're going. And as the band comes forward, as we close in worship, I want to just, I want to put that question before you again. Which normally comes easier for me? Is it doing justice or loving mercy? And give God thanks that you're wired for one and ask God how you may need to seek the other. And I also want to encourage us to be people of humility, asking God, God, who do you want me to fight for so that people that have been discriminated against in this city, in our church, in the nation, would see your glory? Just be open for God to to speak to you, to minister to you. You know, I I told that story earlier of having these young people all of them kids of color from Kellogg and Shortgrass that decorated my car and and what that was like as people you know gave me the middle finger and keyed my car because there's all these messages on it it was not not fun and just a brief tiny experience of the vast discrimination that many of my friends of color have experienced it's tiny and insignificant but um, one thing happened that was really beautiful later in the week we didn't wash our car and later in the week I was really exhausted and I I took a couple hours and I went out to one of the San Juan Islands to be with God and pray. And I had the Holy Spirit minister to me and I spent a couple hours praying and crying out to God and I felt God just restore me. It was this really sweet, beautiful time. I needed it um, because it's been a hard season, but I just felt restored. I felt shalom, reminded God's like, keep fighting, keep pressing, keep leaning in. And as I got back on the ferry to come back home and get back to work, there was a van next to me and, and the people in the van were kind of looking at me and it was just kind of odd. And I'm like, oh, what do you, you know? And then as they got, they were, took a different stop. And as they got ready to drive off, they started to, to wave their hands. And this girl in the van, she like jumped against the window and she knocked. And then she got this huge smile on her face, this young, this young black woman. And she pointed at my car and she saw the words that said, protect black women. And, and then she like smiled and waved and she was like, thank you, thank you, thank you. She drove off. Church, there are people that need us to fight for them, that have been discriminated against. M- many of you are, are, are watching right now, maybe that's you. I'm sorry for ways that we've been slow to move and silent and complicit. Please forgive me and know this church stands for justice in our community. And I promise you, as you move into this Micah 6-8 movement, as you practice justice and loving mercy and you're humbling yourself in order to, to have God lay a burden onto you, like the world will be blessed. They'll see God move as you follow Jesus. Not for you, not for me, not for even Bethany, but for God's sake.
So may it be so for his glory. Would you pray with me now? Jesus, thank you for this moment in time. Thank you for your church. God, change us, make us more like you. Thank you that your message of shalom is for all people. God, we would just ask that you would continue to make the church a blessing, advocating, speaking truth, and moving towards justice and mercy, being humble for your sake, God. Thank you for these words. Thank you for this time. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's go.